things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. <laughs> all right, take two. Okay. Welcome to the Early Careers Podcast. My name's Jack Denton. And I'm Ollie Sidwell. And today we have with us David Brooks, Head of Media, and Rowena Back, Entry-Level Talent Director from TMP. And today we're going to be talking about the changing early career space, and in particular, degree apprenticeships. And we're going to be looking at some of their latest research. So welcome, guys. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, welcome. <laughs> um, so maybe we could start, maybe you could give us a little bit of background, explain to people who you are and how you've got to where you are today. Yeah, happily. So um, I joined TMP in November. Mm-hmm. Um, I help clients with their entry-level talent strategies. And prior to joining t- TMP, though, I was working with socially disadvantaged young people with an organisation called My Kind of Future. Yep. Um, so 12 to 24-year-olds really getting to understand what challenges they have in terms, of the, in terms of careers and how can tech help them. Prior to that, I was in-house. So I've really come to TMP bringing an in-house experience of having to recruit hundreds and hundreds of young people each year and work experience grads or apprenticeships, mm-hmm. um, helping them make career decisions, and then now really helping clients with their strategy. Great. Nice. And Dave? So my background definitely isn't as colourful as Rowena's, so I've been at TMP for coming up to 18 years now in wow. October. So yeah, man and boy, pretty much from TMP. So I've moved around the business in loads of different facets. I've done the client services side, I've done the response handling side, and now I'm heading up the media team. So yeah. And I'm sure everybody does know TMP, but for anyone who doesn't know TMP, who are TMP and what do they, what do, they do? We are really all about inspiring tomorrow's talent. We do this by sparking their imagination, opening their minds to new careers, and delivering really personal recruitment experiences. And that works out on a day-to-day basis as trying to communicate who you are through your brand, thinking about a really focused assessment strategy so you would retain your diversity diversity candidates or Mm -hmm. anyone you fought hard to find. Um, And then managing their candidate experience, making sure that they really have the best experience best time getting to know you and getting the role. Gotcha. Good overview. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So um, maybe you could explain a bit more about your research and what you've Mm. been up to and, um, you know, where it came from, what it's about and... Happily. So it's brilliant to be talking about it today because it's a subject that I think is absolutely crucial for every entry-level talent professional and probably talent acquisition professional. Definitely. Um, There is a large change going on in the graduate recruitment space. It's not the way that it was. We used to have a process where um, it was aspirational and essential for you to go and get a degree in order to supercharge your um, your career prospects. Yeah. But obviously, since the levy came in a few years ago, we've had this boom in apprenticeships. Um, and just to recap for those who don't know, apprenticeship levy was brought in for a couple of reasons. One, there was a um, huge economic pressure um, around the time of the last recession, and um, employers were cutting their education spending. And at the same time, there was changing government trying to support the shift towards employer education away from centralised pockets into employer pockets. So this manifested in the levy. So the intention of the levy is to help everyone in the country be more skilled, mm-hmm. because the productivity gap was widening and it has long-term impacts on all of commercial performance of organisations. So the levy is there to, to help. And to help the government hit their goal of three million apprentices by 2020. Exactly. But it's been really hard for people to get to use it. 
So um, there's been a very small number take up of degree apprenticeships. I was interested in this because everyone who's used and touched degree apprenticeships says that they're phenomenal. You get yeah. years of experience, you can really grow your own talent, people who know the organisation. So whilst it's grown exponentially, what does that mean for graduate recruitment? So we had this rather dramatic, but it always makes, I feel like I should go dun 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 dun. <laughs> I can only do the sound effects if you, you like. Do that. Oh, okay. Dun, 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 dun. okay, ready? Is graduate recruitment dead? Dun, 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 dun. And then the creaky door. <laughs> we should have played this one for October. Yeah, this should be a Halloween special. Yeah. You can hire us for sound effects if you like. Can we play it? Yeah. Is graduate recruitment dead? Yes. Okay. Does do degree apprenticeships mean that we won't be recruiting grads because of the benefits? So we wanted to find out the fact behind that hypothesis, and we went about doing this research this year. Nice. Great background, that. Mm. Uh, so talk us through this research then. Who did you reach out to? What are your numbers? What did you find? Yeah, what's what it all the... about? Go on. So we uh, used two methods, um, one-to-one interviews. So yeah. we interviewed 10 organisations for a deep dive into their practices. So these networks. are employers that offer apprenticeship opportunities, graduate opportunities? Yes, exactly. Some that do, some that don't. Yeah. Aspirations, different sectors, different sizes. So people like from AstraZeneca through to Danone, through to um, Dyson, and then we had some banks involved as well. So the whole spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to them, some more qualitative, qualitative <laughs> elements to it. How many T's in that word? <laughs> qualitative elements we used a, a survey and that yeah. went out and we got deep feedback from 135 other organizations yeah so that was around 10,000 10,000 data points wasn't it yeah which was huge yeah um but gave us a really full picture of this topic around how people are using degree apprenticeships okay so that's a good bit of background in terms of the the research then um so you want to talk a bit about the findings what, what did you Go on, what were the most yeah, surprising so findings? Let's, let's, yeah, let's is graduate recruitment dead? <laughs> well, what do you think? What's your take, though? I, I don't think it's dead. I feel like maybe it's just been split into different facets. It's more, we were having this conversation on the way over here, actually. It's not that it's dead, it's more in the retirement home phase at the moment, but it's going, <laughs> it's going that way, isn't it's it? Going it's that a, way, the trends okay. seem, to, seem to show that. So some of the research trends that we, we got back... Uh, things like 20% are more likely to introduce new degree apprenticeships if you already have a degree apprenticeship, mm-hmm. which was a, quite, a, quite a big finding for wow. us. Um, and if you already run a degree apprenticeship, 7% are more likely to reduce their grad intake, which obviously is what we're seeing as well. That, I think, is a huge takeaway from this data. When I was looking at all the information, to see that when you run a degree apprenticeship programme, you are on the upside and are likely yeah. to challenge your business mm. and phase out your graduate programs. Yeah. For me, is that death tell, death knoll <laughs> on of graduate programs in some areas? I think yeah. we can have some really interesting discussions about well, where because graduate programs serve different purposes, and we'll probably come onto it. But there's reasons why you'd want a graduate. And there's reasons yeah. why you would want a school leaver. I suppose if yeah. you're talking about those specifically degree apprenticeships, they are graduates because they're going to get a degree at the end of it. Yes, exactly. So it's just a different type of graduate, right? It's a different route to qualification. Exactly. So if you take on a graduate, obviously they've got their um, degree externally. You've not been involved in that process. And so if you do a degree... you it almost. Yeah. Yeah, and then if you do a degree apprenticeship, of course, you've worked with that business through that whole process. So that business is still taking on graduates in the same way. It's just now there's an alternative um, route for them to become qualified. 
One of the interesting questions I often get is, well, should we pay them the same at the end? Because you've got... Because they're salaried already through the process. Exactly. And if you hire a graduate on, say, the average salary is about 25, 27K, I think, across the country. Um, If you hire a graduate, 25, 27K, but they don't have four years' experience. They may have a year in industry or some unrelated experience. What do you pay a degree apprentice who's got four years of experience? Mm-hmm. I'd be interested if you have a Q&A section. Oh, I'm going to hope that would be part of the findings. Yeah. <laughs> like a, like a radio <laughs> dialing. Research part two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that would be, that'd be really useful because I guess no one quite knows that because I think Jack was saying off air that um, the degree apprenticeships are fairly new. Yeah, it's still in its infancy, yeah. isn't really it, in terms of what, yeah. what it's going well, to show. It's only just now people are finishing the first ones, right? So, so this IBM, is quite hard. Yeah. example, I've got, I was chatting to one of the ladies there uh, a couple of weeks ago, talking through these results, and she was sharing their apprenticeships are coming, their degree apprenticeships finished for the first time this summer. Yeah, yeah. And so they'll actually be able to do a compare and contrast between the people that they're hiring and the words that are graduating to see mm. their value to the business. I suppose we'll have to wait still probably a couple more years to see once people have finished the end of the degree apprenticeship and then yeah. been in the business for a couple of years. Yeah. There's a real education piece as well that seems to be missing at the moment about degree apprenticeships. Obviously, when the apprentice levy came in, there was a big push from 2016 to, to now just to explain yeah. what it is and how it works and how companies will benefit as well as students. But now this degree apprenticeship approach seems to be an educational piece for a lot of our clients and actually a lot of people that, that currently work in our business as well. They need to be upskilled and explained how, how that actually works and what it will mean for students. It and that's quite daunting. Yeah. It, it does feel really daunting because it's something big and new luckily I've got Rowena to, to help us <laughs> I was with a financial organisation this morning who don't have an apprenticeship programme don't have a degree programme but have nearly a million pounds sitting in their apprenticeship levy pot wow. that they're being asked to spend and it just feels too much too difficult to start to take on yeah. they have to then try and get their workforce planning sorted out they need to work out what frame what um, standard what standard they should yeah. be using um, and it feels like too much but for those if you're listening and you feel like that there is there are ways forward that, to make it much simpler so um, don't feel daunted if you make it into a pi- my top tip is a pilot area yeah find an area of the business that could benefit from um, deeper more instant technical training so people often use technology as an example but it needn't be it could be HR or marketing or finance where if you want them if you want your incoming staff to have the highest level of qualification fastest then a degree apprenticeship is a really good thing to think about just start in a small area mm. i think the other thing that with degree apprenticeships is that lots of the developed a uh, lot of the standards are still being developed so at the moment there's a relatively small number say compared to um, higher apprenticeships or advanced or intermediate apprenticeships yeah. there's a there are fewer so i think in the future there will be more and more so that's really great and it seems that there's going to be more and more but on the other hand, there's some worry, I think, if you're thinking of a degree apprenticeship with what, the, what they're saying about in terms of funding. Yeah. So it looks like we're going to overspend how much they thought it was going to be, but I think it's by something like five billion. And one of the suggestions by some of the organisations in the market, such as AL, who represents the training providers, suggests that it's probably going to need to be cut from somewhere, that money. And one of the places it could be cut from, they're suggesting, or it's most likely to be, are the degree apprenticeships. So I wonder what that might be mean. controversial, mm. I think that's because it protects a university model. I have to sort of... Yeah. It, no, it would be controversial. Let's get it out of there. It is controversial. Yeah, go on. Because if you, 
if you fund degree apprenticeships, there is very few reasons why you wouldn't eradicate or lose the traditional degree in a, in a vast number of different professional yeah, areas. for industries. And, and that is not good for the economy, that's not good for... Um, so you think this agenda is being pushed by universities, potentially? Yeah, and government, I think. Well, I know, actually, having spoken to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm being very gentle about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. So you think yeah. the gov government wants to protect degrees? Yes. So if that's the case, then maybe it wouldn't make sense to start a degree apprenticeship because if the government's going to cut the funding and that's your feeling, then it wouldn't make sense to do that, right? You might as well just stick with your graduate programme because you know that that's irrelevant of... While it's existing, I would recommend going for it because where, what it does do is drastically change how companies think about staff and qualifications. So if, to get a business that is reticent to introduce apprenticeships and have them engage in even the concept of degree apprenticeships as a way of getting their ultimate skills for their staff, that is a huge step forward and that, that is worth it. Absolutely. Mm. It's also it's also a really nice way of mixing in different walks of life of people. So people are going for degree yeah. apprenticeships rather than just graduates. So you get yeah. things like social mobility coming up, you get dis uh, disability, you get gender, you get loads of different types of people mm -hmm. all of a sudden becoming almost a mirror image of the UK population, which is what companies want. They want everybody to uh, be counted and be heard and making sure that their workforce is diverse. Mm -hmm. Having something like people coming from degree apprenticeships actually allows them to have and open up that window for new people. Absolutely. Yeah. Is, is, that, um, is it part of the findings or is that part of actually just, I guess, anecdotal from, I guess, some companies you're working with? So it was a big part of the findings which looked at, so if you are doing degree apprenticeships, why are you doing them? Yeah. And there was a fantastic revelation that we, when I looked at those who aren't doing degree apprenticeships and what they wanted to get out of them, and I looked at those who are doing degree apprenticeships and what they said were the benefits, yeah. they matched. So the perception meets the reality, which is phenomenal. So mm. on things like um, more cost-effective way of training skills, uh, faster assimilation into company and more effective assimilation into company culture. Where it differed, which is interesting, is on the topic of diversity and social mobility. So those that don't have a degree apprenticeship program, one of the things they want to gain from it is um, social, uh, a diverse workforce. Yeah. Okay. Um, and those that do have found that it hasn't delivered because when you look into the, um, the DF, DFES stats, the people that are taking up degree apprenticeships are um, white males or okay. because they would have been going into a technical profession or a legal profession or any of the professional services firms, for example, who dominate the, or retail, who dominate the apprenticeship and degree apprenticeship space. Uh, and so at, as it stands today, degree apprenticeships won't diversify your workforce. Apprenticeships absolutely will diversify your workforce. Yeah. So degree apprenticeships are mostly white males doing them? According <laughs> to this stats, yes. This right. is government stats, yeah. Okay. It, the people are choosing to do that instead of taking university fees. Mm. Is, that, uh, is that based on, I mean, I think the, the rise of uh, degree apprenticeships have been massive over the last couple of years. And I think, did you say it was only a few hundred not a long time ago yeah. and now there's what Gone from thousands like 600 to 2000 uh in 18 months over an 18 month period yeah so it's, it's quite a big increase so i wonder if that actually the, the early uptake 
<clears throat> may, may have been kind of white males, yes. but actually going forward, that may diversify a little bit. But yes. And so to your point, Dave, it has to be part of your strategy because and we all know that if you don't have a diverse workforce, you're not going to be representing your customer, you're not going to be financially robust as other organisations. Yeah. So, or just doing the right thing in the world. Let's <laughs> yeah. just start there. Yeah. yeah, you also spoke about the industries as well. In certain, maybe it's more like technical focus roles that they're better suited to certain um, degree apprenticeships. Was that another thing that came out or another thing you found? Didn't we find that actually, going back to the gender point, mixed with STEM, for example, that's more white male focused. But actually, yeah. some of the other courses that you can take are, are being more mixed. Isn't that what we yeah. tended to see? And we did see that the biggest take up was in the technical space, the degree of friendships. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's because, well, again, I keep saying I think, I know that's because <laughs> it takes four years to write a degree programme. Yeah. And in the technical world, in, with technology, it's out, it's outpaced the degree program by that time. Whereas the um, the standards are more flexible and change, so yeah. it has been quicker to be taken up okay. in the technical space. So, as a mini summary so far, we've got the case that um, uh, de degree apprenticeships, on one hand, could be a really great option for employers to look at. However, there's a feeling that there's an agenda set by the government and universities not to do them. So in that sense, it probably doesn't really make any sense to do a degree apprenticeship if that, if that part's the case, because there would, be no, there would be no degree apprenticeships, right? But I, think, I don't think that means that they won't exist. I, just don't, I think it won't kill off graduate recruitment. I don't think they'll be supported enough to remove your finance grad, your HR grad, your ops grad, your sales programs, things like that. Okay, okay. And then the second part is in terms of diversity and social mobility. It appears that um, although the perception is that degree apprenticeships will improve your diversity and social mobility, it's not the case because most degree apprenticeships are by, currently by white males. Okay. Good Great summary. summary. Yeah, good, good summary. summary. Yeah, good good summary. summary. Just been typing notes up there, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of bear out as you expected in terms of the results? Uh, there were some areas that I was expecting to see and some that were a surprise. So I was expecting to see the data around whether apprenticeships, degree apprenticeships are being used for internal staff or for new staff and that played out as I thought. Um, do you want to hazard a guess? Go on. I reckon the, the aim, I reckon the aim what you, what you thought would find actually yeah. it was going to be they are for new apprenticeships. That's what I was hoping to find, and that is what I find. Oh, right, that's good. To the man blue. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what percentage are we talking there? Um, it, so fifty-five to forty-five. So fifty-five percent were going to new, uh, yes, new staff, incoming staff, and forty-five percent were spent on internal staff. Right. Okay. Yeah. So putting people through uh, management degrees or um, you, you know an MBA. As, a, yeah. as a, an apprenticeship, yeah, which is pretty cool. Very cool. So that was a that that was um, in line with a, my my expectations. I um, was surprised that it was seven percent of people of companies who have degree apprenticeships are closing down equivalent grad programs. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that to be at that figure. Um, I didn't. I, in true research style, I didn't know what I was going to get. Yeah. Um, but I was interested to see that that had taken such a start. 
Was, was that in a particular industry? I don't need to name, name names or anything, but... No, good point, cross-sector. Yeah. yeah, it didn't vary. But I would like to use some deeper sector research. So 135 organisations is, is statistically significant as an industry representation, but not deep enough for me to say specific sectors. Yeah, okay. I think we've seen that same kind of trend in the media side as well, really, in terms of how briefs that we used to get come in from clients, always about grads, always making sure that they're running for the full year. That kind of approach actually just isn't happening anymore. And I was saying to Marina on the way over here, actually things like top-up grad campaigns used to get all the time yeah. in January. It used to be like almost the, the buffer stage. You, you, yeah. you do all your STEM stuff in September, close by mid-December, start up again in Jan. We've had zero this year. Absolutely no top-up campaigns in between yeah. Jan to March, which is a real telling time to see that that trend actually going the same way that, that you found the research. So it's, mm. it's definitely transitioning the way that we plan media campaigns at Timpy. Is that why you took so much holiday in January? Yeah, that must be it. <laughs> that's, that's definitely why. If anyone who's listening needs to check out Dave's Instagram. Oh no, don't, don't, don't. We'll put the, uh, put the, the address on. In the notes. In the notes, yeah. In and so go on, talk us anything more from this, we've dug in different areas of this, uh, this research so far. Some of the things have been surprising, some stuff has been what you expected. Um, there are some interesting conversations going on in businesses that came through in the, in the comments sections, which is always the most enlightening bit when you read the yeah. research. Um, the data is exciting, but the people articulate what they really think in the comments, that's where you get the true picture. And there were... Um, when I really started to get under the skin of that, trying to understand why people were swapping over and the value that they were gaining from degree apprenticeships, but also what was stopping them from having that conversation, which was really revelatory. Right, okay. We were, would it, can I share that with the yeah. Share, 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 share away. Yeah. Yeah. Share when he's caring. You're in the right platform for that. He's got all the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> this, this bit was fascinating because there were five trends that came out, really. Yeah. Um, I'll just run through them and then I can tell you a bit more about them if that's useful. So the first one was that um, a real question about what is it, what is university worth? And is it worth having this finished article in air quotes or a work in progress? Okay. Right, that was the first one. The second one is, well, if there is an assumption in the business that university is valuable, what is it about the university experience that means that you should be using a grad as opposed to growing your own? Mm-hmm. The third one was around pastoral care, and um, that is the setup to support your incoming um, degree apprentices, whether they are un, you know, 16 or 46, whatever, to assimilate into the organisation and be, become their best, be their best selves. Um, the fourth one was to understand about um, this idea that when, sorry, the fourth one was people were worried about going to market for degree apprenticeships because they didn't think that young people would want to apply for them or would even get quality applications. Yeah, right. So they weren't, really? they weren't setting their marks. They thought, well, no one's going to apply. I might as well just go to grads because I know I'm going to get grads. Yeah. And then the fifth one, the final one, was that um, there was just uh, a resistance to change. So there were co- quotes coming through saying, my business... Um, just don't want to do apprenticeships. They like grads, it works, and they're not ready to change. Yeah, why would you change it if it's always worked? Exactly. Yeah. Is it really broken? We're just doing yeah. this because we're being forced to do it, and we're being told by finance to spend our levy pot. So five really interesting barriers. Yeah, okay. 
which one do you want to explore first? I don't know. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? What do you think? Why do you think those barriers exist? Because yeah. there seems there's loads of stuff out there that has that provides the answer to those barriers, but they don't seem to be accessing that data. Like say pastoral care, yeah. almost every training provider will have quite an, a, an in-depth pastoral care program. So it's in the case of a degree apprenticeship at the university will normally have some kind of program. So it would appear that people are not aware of that, I suppose. And then. Um, what were the other ones we looked at? Um, the resistance, for me, the resistance to change is the most interesting one. And it could be yeah. for a load of different reasons. But the one that I tend to see quite a lot with the resistance to change is because of the people that are doing it. They're the same type of people or they're the same um, age range of people who are still pushing the same graduate approach. So actually, it ties nicely in with the educational piece, which I mentioned before. For them to really push it and to understand that change can be good, they have to be open to saying what they think is the best way of putting students through yeah. a process is through something other than graduate. And that is where we've really struggled, trying to get people to change their mindset that it's fine if you actually go and do something completely different to a graduate degree. You can do a sponsored degree, you can do an apprenticeship, you can do whatever you like, really, yeah. as long as the client is willing to make that change with you and the options there and you're, you're educating the candidate and oh, sorry the student and the client it's kind of open which is which is interesting i think if we did this research in say 10 years time i guarantee you'd get a completely different set of values because the people who are directly taking these surveys and, and speaking up well, yeah they would have lived through it and they would have exactly. spoken about it it's nice. waiting for yeah. that change so when Dave's coming up to his 28th year at TMP. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm clearly not resisting to change yeah. at all. <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole point, I think you do a lot of recruitment into like HR graduates or yeah. you go in, certainly you find a lot of people that go into a graduate team is because they, they've gone through that student experience themselves and they understand yeah. the process of doing the milk round at different universities. Yeah. So I think you're actually spot on. That sort of thing will take a while to, to filter through until you start doing maybe HR apprenticeships and, and then start filling them. But exactly. I don't know how many of those are out there in the, the market <laughs> at the moment. There are quite a few HR apprenticeships. Yeah. yeah. But they are It's still trying to get HR to take it on board. Sometimes HR doesn't look after itself first. They focus yeah. on the business first. Mm. Indeed. Okay, so that's the uh, the top two we, we talked spoke about resistance to change, and then uh, your the first one you mentioned about pastoral care. Yeah. Mm. Um, any others you want to touch on there? I think this discussion about uh, what is university life worth. Oh, yeah. What yeah, yeah. This is cool. Mean? Worth. Yeah. Yeah. How do you? Yeah. How do you measure it? Yeah. Exactly, yeah what's yeah. the tangible result of someone going to university versus not? Well, you'd now quantify that as probably fifty thousand pounds worth of. Debt, potentially. <laughs> yeah. just, well, in the media, I think you would. Yeah, uh, as, exactly. I think I personally look at my experience very differently. Yeah. That it's kind of got you to a place where you are today, and your friendship group—that's where you spend your time with. Yeah, harder to probably be yeah. more tangible, but I don't know. How else would you define worth? <laughs> <laughs> this is it, and one of the interesting comments that sticks in my mind from um, in the comments section was that they were saying, um, "I've got to get this right." Uh, the value of university is the ability to negotiate with your housemates over who's buying the milk. <laughs> right. Okay, okay, let's go. Well remembered as well, by the way. I've read this research <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it, but let's go with that as an example, right? Yeah. Which is. It's in a life skill. It's in a life skill, yeah. right? So you've okay. learnt 
you realise you have to fend for yourself, you've got to convince somebody else to do something, you've got to make sure they've done it and take turns or whatever. Like, that paying bills. And those are things that you can get from not being at university. Yeah. You can get through, if you look at pastoral care, to pick up on that point, mm. if you look at pastoral care from the lens of how do we nurture these individuals to be the rounded talent that we need for tomorrow, whatever tomorrow holds for your company, mm-hmm. you can break it down and provide them those experiences. And you can work with your training provider to create that, be it a university or, or a private sector entity. Where I think you get, get into the grayer area is around things like um, analytical skills, research skills, thesis writing skills, things like that. And the really good training providers will help you create the experience for your apprentices to help them achieve that. The last thing I'd say on it is the power comes from having the conversation with your business in the first place about what is it about those grads? Is it that they... What is it? Like, is it that they, they still hit the ground running in inverted commas? Or weren't they still? I mean, they're going to still get lots of the things anyway. They still have to go to university. It's twenty percent of the job training, so you have to study. Yes. And you will learn those skills, you know, research skills, because you're going to have to do the. You have to pass the same exams as yeah. anyone else doing a degree. So, it's probably actually. I can't see there being a huge difference between the two. So then it moves into the things like office savvy. Yeah. So the difference between an 18-year-old or um, a returner worker who's been not been in an office environment before. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, helping them understand um, when do you say no to a senior boss, you know? <laughs> the so office politics yeah. side, yeah. Politics, yeah. 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 And that is only something you learn from when you're in position, when you're doing the job. Because you can't prepare someone to say how the office is going to be, what you can and can't get away with when you're allowed to really, in inverted commas, leave the office on time. That kind of thing, that's something that you learn when you're really in it. When you're in it, yeah. and you know when you would get it wrong and you get told what is right, yeah. for example. And, and actually, I think you talking about returns is a really good option, a really good uh, example. Somebody who already knows how to act may want to be proving themselves when they're back into the workspace. If you're going in at a younger age, you're, it's almost allowed to make mistakes or it's it's seen as okay. Whereas yeah. when you're a returner, you should kind of know better. It's very much a, this is how you should have done it. <laughs> My second controversial point of the podcast. Go on, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say this because my background is L&D and I've run Uh-oh. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days of training on management training, which is that I think that pastoral care, if you have businesses that are um, reticent or nervous about what it takes to manage, uh, particularly a younger apprentice, it sheds a really big light on the calibre of the management training or the space that a business gives team leaders and managers to manage because operationally we know you know Dave from your role you don't have a lot of time in your day to really watch out for someone and nurture them so in order for uh, an apprenticeship program to be successful it you've got to create space for managers to manage and help them manage and that's tough for businesses to do because I used to have to fight to get people on management training programs and they'd come kicking and screaming and you know, you always ask this question at the beginning, why are you here? Like, well, because I was told to come. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's it's tough. It's got the wrong stigma attached to it as well, hasn't exactly. it? People kind of feel like it's a tick box rather than no, this is actually gonna help you in your mm. in yeah. your further career development. Let's face it, it's easier as a manager to have somebody come in on the ground who kinda knows what they're doing, that yeah. kinda can solve a problem because they've been around the world a bit longer. Yeah. You know, 
it's just easier. And so to bring the apprenticeship programme in, it takes a company to dig a bit deeper, ask the harder questions and push themselves a bit forward. Yeah. Now, for my money, those are the companies that are going to do better in life, are going to do better in general because they're tackling the tougher stuff yeah. head on. Looking yeah. for, further forward, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's not forward. just tomorrow. That's yeah, something that um, we did a podcast with um, Alice Scott from Development Beyond Learning mm. talking about onboarding processes. And one of the things that you know you guys mentioned that she also highlighted was that it's really important as part of apprenticeship training or any type of training actually that what somebody um, learns when they're on the training is fed back to their line managers so that they can talk about it and practice those things that they have learned or been trained on once they come back into the space. And I think that's it. it's improvement, what you're saying. It? Yeah, it's improvement development. Yeah, that's what it's there for. So um, in terms of the, the research and the current sort of general trends in the market, do you think there's any things that you guys have come across that might help explain some of the trends or um, might help us see new trends that may appear over the coming years? Um, I think one of the biggest trends around this topic is how you communicate with your candidates. Mm -hmm. um, so you think there's going to be a change in the way that people communicate with candidates yeah it's a growing trend and I'm sure you'll be seeing this a lot it's this whole consumer grade communication with candidates to help them build a relationship with you um, the other reading that I've been that I sort of get exposed to in this role is what's happening in globally with young people and what do they expect from organizations and working with a large distributing organization who shall recently, <laughs> recently um, trying to help them with their European recruitment strategy. Some of the findings that we uncovered is that young people, particularly the 17, 18-year-olds, want help making their career decision. Yeah. So if you look back at recruitment marketing over the last 15 years, 20 years, we've moved from a place of, um, come here, the world is your oyster. The big blank. The big, big blank. blanket approach. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah into a place now where you really have to think in an intersectional way, and we were talking a bit about this on the way in, yeah. that each person who's reading your ad has got a unique environment of their own, challenge that they're trying to overcome, and that you need and that they want help from employers to make that decision. Why should what career should they think of? Is it a career anymore? Is it just a job? Mm. You know, these okay. so I think there's a big shift there. There is and it's all and I've said this so many times on other uh, other talks and events and things. It's all about user-generated information. So actually, to make sure that that targeting is at its best, making sure that what you're giving to someone is something that resonates with them. Before, and like you said, 15, 20 years ago, it used to be, come and apply. And that was yes. it, really. Yeah. You'd have yeah. to buy in to, to the company. The candidate would, would have to go and find someone that they really wanted, and, and the client would really have their pick of top talent. Yeah. Mm. Everyone's got the power. Everyone's got, exactly. And the power's actually not there anymore. It's yeah. only the student. The student gets to choose what they apply for. They choose what they want to see. They can filter all the rubbish that they don't want mm. yeah. completely out, whether that's by sector, whether that's by location, whatever it is, it's, it's down to user-generated content. And actually, the more and more it becomes user-generated, the more and more... and I've, gone on about this before loads of times about automation mm. the idea of having everything automated sounds great but actually what we found now and we had this conversation on the way over is that students actually do want 
personal care. They do want yeah. that that human interaction at some point. So it got it went too far the other way mm. about four or five years ago where everything was automated. And now yeah. actually having that personal feel with someone from a large company coming to talk to you is actually a lot nicer and buys into the company a lot quicker. So my prediction for 2019 is a rise in on-campus, in-school and yeah. on-campus activity, yeah. but not in the big bang, you know, thousand light bulbs, oh, it's a great idea to come and work here type activity. Yeah in the who are you, who do you stand for, who are you as a person, what's your journey, and how could you build that with me, employer? Yeah, and we're already seeing that in terms of briefs that are coming through right now. Yeah. There's a lot more on-campus activity, there's a lot more outdoor and ambient. It's about selling in the business and the company first, and then going in with the active mm. approach secondary. It's it's about understanding why companies want you, or why you want to pick yeah. a certain company now, which is great. I think, I think it's, it's a good yeah, it's two or three things combined together at the same time. So one, we've got a strong labour market at the moment. We've got a very high level of employment. Yeah. So therefore, the power has shifted more towards the candidate. So we were in a changing uh, labour market, that would probably change again to the, towards the employer. And second, when we're aiming at this uh, school and college leavers, they're, they're different, like you've explained, to, to grads because they're not making their career decisions independently. Mm -hmm. We've known for a number of years that the major influencer of young people are their parents mm -hmm. and so when you're creating this content when you're trying to market to those you're not really marketing just to them you're also marketing to the influencer to the, groups yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah definitely and it's also this is, a, this is just a separate piece about saying more campus activity but the school activity although I think there's lots of that I think a lot of school activities are a waste of time going into schools. Because controversial point number three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very controversial well, it's and, time, and very time consuming because yeah. there's, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of data that shows that it, it doesn't work. So how do we know that it doesn't work? Well, do you mean the going in to try and help someone think, girls think about STEM careers, for example? Or do you mean? So, so lots of employers will go in and do workshops. They could do very, anything they do in schools, assemblies, any of that right. sort of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the reason we know that it uh, might not be as effective as we, as we thought it would be is that... Um, Schools uh, employers spend a lot of money doing that, so it's an average of I think it's like 30, 33 visits per employer, and it costs them about ten and a half grand to to do that for all those visits with all of the costs involved in, in, mm -hmm. in going into the schools. It's quite cheap for head, but yeah, that is the big, when people's budgets are getting smaller. That's a pocket money you don't have. Also, the onus goes back on the client having to go in and yeah. educate as well, well which yeah. is, is, is a lot for them. The problem is not necessarily how much money it's spent on it, it's the return on that. Yeah. Right. So when you go into a school and you ask um, young people, can you remember any interactions, any employer engagements, about 40% of people can remember any interaction whatsoever with an employer. So 60% of young people are not, not recalling those interactions. And then if you ask young people, can you recall any brands that you know offer um, school leaver or apprenticeship programs? And you do it in two ways. First of all, you do top of the mind. So they have to write it, just freestyle write it. From 10,000 people, you'll get maybe 250 who can write down any employers. Then if you do aided awareness, so you give them a list of all the employers and they tick all the ones that they've heard of, they do obviously much, much better in that. Yeah. However, it, it's not working that system because people are not remembering Mm. When you when you talk to people, I guess you go in as a workshop, do you try and almost go less brand specific, don't you, sometimes? So you might be able to remember some of the advice you've been given. Yeah, but, the, brands, but the, pur that... the purpose of most, not every, but most organisations, it's part of their branding and attraction strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Some people do it as a CSR thing, which is yeah. slightly different, yeah. which is f fine, can, that's a bit different. But most organisations are doing it as part of a branding and attraction. Mm -hmm. If a branding and attraction, the evidence shows that, that it, it doesn't work. 
And what people do remember, though, is they do remember experiences. Yeah. So you're much more likely to get a lot more out of um, an event where young people are taken to the place of work, the office yeah. or the whatever. A more interactive yeah, exactly. style. And, and including parents in that. So it'll be, in, it'll be interesting. So that's 14 to 16, I'm, I'm assuming. Or yeah, 14 to 18. To 18. Yeah. I'm just wondering, so we, again, had this conversation on the way here about your, your lovely daughter yes. who's coming up to six. Mm. And I was saying, you know, a lot of companies now go in at a really, really young age and they really try and sell in. And I wonder if that's the way they're doing it with more mm. of an experience approach because they're not going to remember a brand or remember a job. But the idea is is experiential, mm. which which kind of ties back into on-campus stuff. You know, mm. we've done stuff like that before, but it's weird that it's not weird. It's, it's interesting that it's not working within the 14 to 18 market. Mm. I also think that the next thing that's happening in engagement with young people is um this will resonate i'm sure is that the, the way messages are constructed is changing yeah to be more focused on stories than Definitely. ever before right we had steve keith on talking yeah. about uh, the power of steve the power of storytelling so if you are interested there's a whole podcast dedicated yeah. to that series one just scroll up yeah well, there you go. And I think it's supported by uh, where you have Insta and, and Facebook. And oh, it's just to be, we think exactly what I was going to talk about. So yeah. where the rise in video and social combination, actually storytelling has become a massive thing for us. We've been starting campaigns a lot earlier. We're making sure that those videos aren't, this is a job, come and see it. It's not just a rotation of still images. This is actually students or potential candidates who are in role talking mm. about their day yeah. actually explaining what it's like to work at this company explaining how great they are at certain things like work-life balance it's not it, you know those benefits are so yeah. important now it's not just about the salary and having those videos really gives a bit of insight into what a business is actually like and I think clients have to be far more transparent oh, yeah. now that it's all available so things like video uh, whether it's somebody doing it off, off their own bat so they're going around with their iPhone and they're just showing people where they work all the way through to the corporate videos they all have to be so transparent they yeah. don't get the opportunity to kind of mask anything we've also <laughs> got different sites now like rated sites so things like Glassdoor where people can go on and find out things like interview techniques rate my friendship that'd be a good one as well yeah. the ones that are in like just, the early career space maybe <laughs> quite, yeah. rather quite than <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact that they're all doing it but yeah it, it's so good having that insight from students who are actually in those workplaces. I would really, also, really to draw the link between this, exactly, <laughs> this point about storytelling and your, your absolutely powerful point about it not working in schools, the approach having seen school workshops happen and it's been about tell you about my op option needs <clears> to shift into let's use storytelling and support them to make a career decision. Just self-discovery will be much more memorable than going in and saying I'm from X large FMCG and we have a, I'm a sales director and this is what I do yeah and I also wonder whether it's not enough even 33 33 was that 33 average, yeah. over a year or yeah, over yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, the thing yeah. is it's wildly different though yeah. some organizations are well over 100 others yeah. are it depends on the size of the organization so where they recruit because you know lots of it might be a really large organization but they may have a very small apprenticeship program yeah, they say 20 on in one location yeah, yeah so mm. we had a really interesting chat with um, Janet um, College who's a career educationist and she was talking to us about um, some of the things that you were saying um, in terms of how things maybe should change in schools and what people do and one of the things is that so now it's in theory every school 
um, should list and college uh, the careers leader on their website and you should be able to get in touch. But yeah. there's some other piece of information, so their name and their contact details. But you should also be able to see a plan of what they've got planned for the entire year in terms of careers. So that then as an employer or any organisation that would like to interact with those schools, you can kind of match up against what they're doing. So when they're doing their interview day, when they're doing different bits through the year, you can match it up so you can make sure you get the right timing. That sounds phenomenal. If that could actually happen all the time, that would be brilliant. I just don't know if clients are at that stage yet where they know how far in advance that strategy even exists. I don't know if they know things like interview days. I don't think they know when they're going to do... Uh, you know their onboarding process between certain time. Yeah. It, it's really hard for them to to knuckle down what they want to do, and also things change. The flexibility yeah. is so so vast yeah. that tomorrow they might just open a whole new program. Yeah. And that'll be that'll be the challenge. I think what and Janet was talking about was actually you need to be structured if you want to work the schools yeah. more efficiently. And yes, you might have to think a year, two years in advance because we have to fit you into our curriculum. Mm-hmm. And any little last minute changes that that doesn't work for us at yeah. all. So as flexible as we need to be for you, we also need you to be flexible for us. But these two partners are coming from such a different place. So that's often why you find it a bit of a struggle. And that's just with one school Mm. and one employer. I mean, that's going to be even tougher to try and roll out if you're trying to go to a multi-school strategy and do it nationally. Yeah, it's nigh on very difficult. Mm. Don't know how you got onto that. Just... <laughs> I, I think it's where I mentioned Glassdoor instead of very well <laughs> Didn't even say it for them. Just keeps yeah. mugging us off, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> I, I won't say who, but I, there's someone who has been worked with us for years and years, and we're called All About School Leavers, right? Yeah. And they keep calling us All About Schools for years. We've been All About Schools oh. to them. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But, you know, well, yeah. so they, they kept coming right. back. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. kept buying packages. Well, they think it's even better. <laughs> I think it's a case of some more marketing. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could move on to some um, top tips or any takeaways you think we could um, Ooh, give to yeah. people, you know, based on what you've learned from the research and advice if, and guidance. Yeah, it's your predictions as well, anything like that. I've got two from a media point of view if you want me to oh, go. Yeah, go yeah. on. Then, yeah. Um, one page applies, please. Yeah. Why can't clients start doing one page applies? It's... You cannot have the same application process for an experienced hire who has 20 years under their belt to an apprenticeship. That is just not going to fly with a student who is 16 having to fill 20 pages in a career site or an ATS. Mm -hmm. One, it's boring. Two, you lose the brand. And three, they're not going for the same kind of role. You need to sell in a company and make it sound fun and exciting and where they can cut their teeth and be really, really engaging for that person. Mm. If you're 20 years down the line and you're working in finance, you probably know what it's about. You know how the approach is going to be. Mm. Fine, have a different process. So that's my first one, have a one-page apply. apply. And by by that you mean everything on one page? Everything on one page, but that doesn't mean wrap 20 pages into one full-on parallaxing (laughs) scrolled site. I mean, mean you don't need to ask all the same information. Mm. It doesn't have to be all the way through your DNI process, all the way through your disability process, all the way through your your details, Mm. personal details. It can just be a really simplistic form that has, say, 15, 20 things to answer. Some of it might even be pre-populated, which is really simple, really yeah. easy to do within tech nowadays. And actually then it becomes a human interaction once the details have gone through to a back office database. And then all of a sudden you can start selling in and asking them for the added details. You don't want people to fall at the first hurdle, it would just be horrible. Yeah, okay, that's number one. Number one, and my second one, I really loved, and I think it was KPMG who 
who, who were going to do it or maybe did do it a couple of years ago, and that's get hired in a day. Yeah. So you go into hired this in a day. hired in a day. So you turn up to the assessment centre in the morning. So you've obviously applied online. You've registered yeah. your details. You get invited to a day's worth of interview prep and doing skill set uh, based. I wouldn't say interviews. I'd say more like uh, interactions. Interactions, exactly. So give us a time when you've done this. Go and do it, and physically yeah. and visually seeing it. And actually, at the end of that day, you get the job or you're done. Mm. And actually, it's so quick. Yes, it is really time-consuming. It is a lot to organise. But imagine going in in the morning, not having a job, and then coming out at the end of the day, having a job. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that's cool. That would be my two. Those are good They're ones. the two that I like, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, drawing, focusing, let me think. Right, I think my two tips are have the conversation with the business about what a graduate hire what being a graduate means. What okay. is it that you get from that or that you're looking for from that? And I think you should have a considered school strategy because I think what you were sharing there about the um, impact of it, whether it works or not, mm. if entry, if talent, um, entry-level talent is around your school leavers, um, a focused strategy that really gets to know them and helps them make a career decision is really important. And then finally, I think that a top tip would be to address this con this idea of storytelling in your marketing. Because if you can get over the, the, the grandiose claims, as you were saying, Dave, and into, if you can say it in an image on Instagram, repeatedly targeting young people to help them think about their careers, then that's going to set you off at a completely different level of advantage versus your competitors. I think those are my top three. I'll probably walk out of here and think, oh my God, I've got another four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know, we can come back three. once we've done the other surveys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Good, yeah. So is that, the yeah. top, I think top four, top five there? Five, wasn't it? Three and two. Yeah. Yeah. Three and two. Yeah. Amazing. Well, what, what five? Yeah. <laughs> Takeaways. Um, well, thank you both very much. Uh, one of our most contentious um, <laughs> podcast. It was good. Some good discussion. Who doesn't uh, like a bit like controversy? I wouldn't mind if people did tweet me and tell me whether they agree or disagree with my points. Yeah, we'll yeah. put your handle at, um, at the bottom at so people can see. Great. Okay. So shout it out, yeah. All right. At Rowena <laughs> underscore Bach, B A C H. Please let me know because I want to know the answers to these big questions. Yeah. It'd be um, really interesting. Yeah. And I'd, I'd quite like to see if our data can go a bit further actually and drill down even more by sector or by client that would be really interesting but it would involve yeah. the client having to put their head above the parapet and being honest and open about what they offer yeah it'd be good that would be really good cool. but what a way to close series two jack yeah this is series two oh, wow. finale yeah you got oh, the finale yeah. series the two uh, <laughs> you just got bananas done. got bananas and water <laughs> yes for the listeners we've got about five bananas in here to fuel us through this well yeah <laughs> You've got to get your calm intake, haven't you? <laughs> I feel like tennis players. Exactly. Yeah. Right, well, thank you very much. Um, I've been Jack. And I've been Ollie. And that is the Early Careers Podcast. See you later. Ta da! <laughs> Do we say bye? I know, I know. Do we I know. Early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z. With all the information that you'll need, it's the Jack and Ollie Show.